I wanna, I wanna first set the context of it, or for it, and um, Chaz mentioned uh, me looking Christmassy, so the pastor, uh, or, or whoever sent the, the text asked us to, to get in our Christmas dress, um, but I want to ask a question. So, and I noticed there's a lot of black, um, and here it's very intentional. Um, it, is that a Christmas color? Um, and to, to further set the context here related to that question, um, so we're the Lord's, right? We, we've seen his light. We've heard his call. Um, we've said yes to him. But for the message today, I want you to, to think back to just before that light came. Before it broke into your life, before you said yes when it came. And think what things were like then. And that's where I want the message to come from today. Because this is, this is not the Christmas message today. It's still part of the Advent message. And Advent is that time before the light breaks in, when you're expecting it, when a word has gone out to you, but the light hasn't yet come. And we're still in darkness. And think to that place in your own life, but also to that place of the world, right? Before people there have received that message of light. And that's where I want to come from. And the, the message for today, um, I, I'm going to be preaching uh, on 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. And it's, we love him because he first loved us. And I want to also ask, uh, so what is it about the first loved us that's, that's central to us being able to love him? And I want to, so I'm going to bring kind of several analogies or parables. And kind of the, the deepest natural sense of love we have is apparent for a child. It's almost natural when you receive a child and there's that wonder and that amazing thing, right, when you're when you're first holding the child in your arms. Um, also, a natural love is, is a, a man for a woman, a woman for a man, 
and the longing, the desire they have for one another, and that celebration of life together. But the part where I want to begin the story is not like when that wonderful child is first um, come into the world or in that romantic stage when you're, you know, all is wonderful and, and you're enjoying that time together. But I want to go to the time when that kid is rebellious and angry and saying things that ought not to be said and acting in ways that sadden you. And or that time in the marriage where the honeymoon period is over and you're figuring out that what you imagine that other person would be is not what they really are and kind of that challenges how you view your life together, right? And that comes with everyone. It also comes in friendships. It comes in, you know, your hopes for who you'll be in the world and what you'll do. You have these idyllic, you know, notions and then the hard parts of the world or the hard parts of a relationship confront you, right? Now, in the language of scripture, there's actually different words for kinds of love. And that, that love, say, in the first romantic stage, that's eros. Um, you know, it's the word we get erotic from, but it has a broader meaning, right? It's that, that longing for the other person where they complete you, right? So it's a, it's a beautiful kind of thing. And then there's the word that scripture uses again and again for God and God's love, and that's agape. And that's the kind of love that say you're in that relationship and it's clear your child is not who you want that child to be or your love is not what you expected and your relationship is not what you want it to be. And what you need to do then is either decide is this not for you? Will you abandon your child or break away from the commitment you made to the other person? Or will you say, okay, I had this standard, but I'm gonna give it up. I'm gonna sacrifice it, and I'm gonna come to you where you I'm going to find a place to meet you and at that place see if you can also give up what you've been holding on so we can meet there. Now, let's take it from this human image of love to God 
and God's love. Only, here's the rub. Here's what's different. God's plan for you is perfection. God created the word, the, the world, and he had a plan, and that plan is righteousness. That plan is who you are to be in all of your fullness. And God says, not just this is what I expect of you, but this is what I've created you to be. And our love is full love when you follow that plan. But as with the rebellious kid, you said no. You went your own way. And now there's a kind of brokenness in you. And the question is, to reach you where you are, if God gives up that plan, it's like he's abandoning your perfection. What course is there when it's not just, you know, you with another person. And in that case, the reason we usually need to give up that plan is because our sense of who they were to be um, isn't in accord with who they are and who they are to be. And it's our bad, right, in our expectations and what we impose and that. And that's why we got to sacrifice those things in ourselves. But if it's God and God's plan for you, how does that work? Well, what I want to say here is that God's love story, and that's what scripture is from start to finish, is the story of how we were created in love, who we were to be, how we went astray, and then are in darkness, and what he did to come to us and bring us back to him. And this passage in John, 1 John, we love because he first loved us. What scripture makes clear is while we need him, we're desperate for him. We're also of ourselves blind to him, not knowing why we're feeling lost and desperate. And he took the initiative, not us. It was because the light came into the darkness and reached to us that we can now come to him and follow that way of love and live in the love that he makes possible.
So for this story, I want to go earlier in 1 John and read 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his love to be the propitiation for our sins, or atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now, I'm going to, I want to kind of um, present this in a way that kind of sounds like a, a fairy tale, but the thing is, the fairy tales are imitations of this, not the other way around, right? Um, here's, here's how the story goes. And we could go through scripture after scripture that makes clear this is God's love story. It goes something like this. There was a princess, and she's warned by her father, the king, to be careful. She can go to any place in the kingdom except there's a certain dark part at the edge of that kingdom. And she's warned not to eat of that fruit, not to go to that place. It's outside the reign of God's love. And he warns her if she goes there, A brokenness enters. A death enters. But she didn't listen. She goes to that place, and darkness touches her heart, and she falls into a kind of blindness and emptiness. And it's as if there's an angel with a flaming sword presenting preventing her from returning to that place that she fell from. She forgets who she was. She forgets who she's supposed to be. And she lives destitute in the dark realm, uh, longing for the scraps given to pigs at the table of those who live there. You recognize that story? But the king loves her. He sends many to reach her, to remind her of who she is, but they can't reach her. He wants her to reign with him, but he also can't bring her back into his kingdom unless she's transformed. Because now that darkness is inside of her. And if he gives to her the reign, 
in his kingdom, all she's going to bring in that place is poison and hurt to those that she's supposed to be ruling over. What can he do now? She's no longer the princess that can rule justly, that can do as he created her for. And she'll never be that. How can he reach her now? Now this king, he had a plan for her. And here's where we gotta see the difference between God's thoughts and our thoughts. So, when God has a plan for a tree, God says tree, and there's a tree. Now, we can think tree. We can say tree. But the power of our words doesn't bring forth a tree. Right? Now, God has a plan for her, for you. And that plan, like the tree, is living. He's the word that from creation God spoke and called forth everything that is. He's the standard of righteousness. He's the one that the law spoke of in many partial words. And he's not a dead letter on a page. He's not some abstract rule. This word is living, active, sharper than any sword, acting in the world to bring it forth. Now this king, that's his son, his only begotten son. And with this son, he loves us. And he, with his son, who's perfect, who's righteous, unlike his daughter, she is now broken, darkness is in her. And this son is the standard of who she's supposed to be. He's the one that the law teaches about. He's the way of God's kingdom. And if people follow it, then life flourishes. Beauty is everywhere. And for those who stray from him, it's twisted. Things that are supposed to be living become dead. The ground shrivels up. All is empty. So here, the righteous son, in love shared with the father, says, how are we going to reach her? How are we going to bring her back, but do it in a way that doesn't leave that poison inside of her? How can she become someone who loves again, who can walk again by this way of life? Now, 
when we think about the sacrifice of Christ and the atonement, right? Sometimes we think like there's one person and that person takes someone else and what they do is they sacrifice someone else for that one, right? And that's how we understand the atonement. But how do we see this as that single act of God's love? Right? It's that model of, you know, think of the relationship and the brokenness, right? And how one has to give up their plans for the other to come back into unity. Here's the crazy part. It's, it's the part we couldn't even have imagined, right? If, if God didn't tell it to us, who could come up with this? It's that God's love for us is such that his perfect plan, he knows if he holds fast to him, we're lost. We have no hope. If we're judged by him, that's it. We're done. But that plan, that's how a kingdom flourishes. And she's not that way. And how could he receive her as long as she's holding on to that poison and darkness inside her? that will keep her from ever living out the joy of love. So what this king does is after reaching out to her, he says, here is how we'll do it. And this is the only way we can now reach her. Because she's not just in darkness. It's a double darkness. She's blind, but she thinks she can see. She's blind to her blindness. She's blind to her rebelliousness. She's blind to what she has become and who she's supposed to be. So he says, we have to first prepare the way for her. And that's what Advent, the season we're in, is meant to celebrate. And we look at it in terms of the fruits of the Spirit that are coming, right? The, the joy, the peace, the hope, the love. Another tradition with the Advent looks at it in terms of how God prepares the way for the light that comes into the darkness. The fullness of God's love is when that perfect standard, the word, becomes flesh and dwells among us, when Christ is born. And the preparation is the way God reached ahead of time to prepare the hearts of those who would receive that light. 
And in the tradition, it's with the prophets and the words of the prophets. So as with law, the law told of the standard, the prophets announced of one who would come, a Messiah, who would redeem Israel. And in this announcement, what's, what's interesting, if you go to the prophetic passages, um, so in the initial word brought on love, it was mentioned how God's wrath, God's judgment, is part of the expression of love. And it has to be, right? Because, because how could he love us? And imagine you have a child, right? And your child is given to drugs, to brokenness, and you know if they continue in that way, they'll just destroy themselves and destroy others around them. You know, would a, would a loving parent say, oh, that's fine, stay that way? Right? And that means, you see, they need transforming. Right? And God, to let us know, the only way we can come into his kingdom is if that kingdom way can be in us. Without that, it's just brokenness that we'd be living out. So, he reveals to us the standard and makes clear to us how we're not according to it. And that calls for death, for a fire, but it's not as if just that death is going to be an afterward punishment. It's just working out the poison that's inside, right? Think of when Adam and Eve fell. What follows afterward, right? Follows their shame, follows how they withdraw themselves from God's presence, right? Rather than communing with him in the cool of the eve as they did before. Then the way it further works itself out is brother killing brother. The violence, and that violence is in a distorted natural world where they're created to be stewards, but now because of the way they act, the world doesn't flourish in the way it's supposed to, right? That's God revealing, but the, what, what is the worst of God's punishment? It's if God says to a rebellious soul, okay, go your way. I'll step back, no more dealing with you. What would be better for a child? To have the parent that continually deals with them, strives with them, confronts them? Or the one who steps back and say, okay, go your way? God's wrath is God's love in relation to a heart that still holds on to its darkness, right? So God announces ahead of time, but here I'll go to one passage. It's one of my, I, I love Isaiah, um, just as it's 
one of my favorite books of scripture. And also, I think, I think God loves it too. Um, because if, if you go like, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, kind of the, if, if you get that record where God says, here was my witness clear at the time of Christ, and you, you can visit today in, you know, in, in the, the little memorial for the Dead Sea Scrolls, and you see this big Isaiah scroll, like, perfectly preserved from then. And I can't read Hebrew, but if I could, um, to, to go to this opening, and in chapter 5, God says, now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And then it tells of how it was nurtured and protected. A hedge was set about. It flourished, and God gave it into the hands of those who were to be stewards of his vineyard. But how he looked for fruit, and there was none. And he gives then woes on them. And they're like, for example, this is in chapter 520, woe to those that call evil good and good evil. Right? The very knowledge of the standard of right and wrong is twisted. And then after that, Isaiah is ushered into God's presence. And that's where he sees the angels singing, holy, 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 right? And he says, woe is me, for I'm an unclean man among an unclean people. And then God sends an angel with a fiery uh, brand and touches his tongue, right? And calls him forth as a prophet. And the prophet the role he's given is kind of a weird one, right? Which is, you know, to preach to them. And then he says, how long? And basically, until all is burnt up. It's, it's not, you know, they're kind of, it's, it's the fire, right? That's going to come as, jo- as God burns away all of this. But then he says, there's going to be left a holy seed, right? A holy seed that he's going to raise up. And afterward, in chapter 9, verse 2, he says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath a light shined. And then going to verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with justice with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So 
he announces, you who are in darkness, you to whom the words of judgment come, those of you who are told that judgment is going to be a wrath, it's going to be burning away everything. But even with that, there's a hope left there. And in that hope, there is going to be one who comes that will give you hope. The counselor, the prince of peace, the son himself is going to be sent down into the darkness and is going to make a way for you. Now, not only did this announcement come through the prophets, but if you look at the time just before Christ is born, we see wise men come from the east. These are Gentiles. These aren't those that have the word of the prophets. And how are they led here? They're going to be led to the place of Christ's birth to receive him by a light in the heavens where God is saying, look, even in this natural world and even to those that aren't my special people, I'm going to give a witness and it's going to stir their hearts and they're also going to be in expectation. And this one who's coming is not just for the house of Israel. This one who's coming is also for Gentiles who are far off. For anyone who's going to let their hearts be stirred by this witness and come to me. And further, the poor, the lowly, who live at the margins of society, those who aren't educated, those who don't have the world's glory, those that can't come with gold and the most expensive spices, the poor shepherds that are the ones awake at night, right, around the fire, they're going to be the ones that I literally open the heavens and they hear the announcement of this one coming. You know, think about that. The, the, the people who were the learned, the scribes and that, they had the prophets. And the wise men, they had the light in the heavens and that long journey. But those that didn't have any of that, God's going to come to them where they are and tell them, go look. That announcement is going to reach everywhere. As Jesus says in one of his parables to the highways and the byways, bring them all in. That's going to reach even to us where we are in our brokenness. And with that, all of that, 
The king, in counsel with the son, says, but it's not going to be enough. That by itself won't bring the princess home. It won't redeem her. Why? Because when the law becomes clear, when the standards of God's kingdom become clear, even if she recognizes them and says, I long for that, she can't do it. That darkness that entered into her makes her unable to come back. Not only does she need enlightenment, she needs someone to break her chains and take the scale off her eyes and enable her not just to glimpse what she's missing, but enables her to say yes and come to it and receive it. And as long as that standard of righteousness remains who God created him, she can't do that. She's barred from it. So the son, he lays down his glory. And he comes to her in her brokenness and darkness. And how does he make clear to her the terrible things that are inside of her? Well, here's how he shows her she's living in rebellion. He comes and is beautiful and perfect. He reaches to the poor. He opens eyes of the blind. He does all these amazing things, and anybody with an honest heart can recognize this is righteousness. This is the standard of righteousness. But the person in darkness, what happens is that darkness just recoils. It hates it because it shows it who they are who she is. So there he is in his love and that rebelliousness awakens and she and her own take hold of him and bring him to a rock and crucify him. Put him to death. And then What have I done? What is in me? What ugly stuff is in me? And for the heart willing to receive it, what he says is, this now is the way of righteousness. It's wherever you are, in whatever brokenness, with whatever past, the ugliness of your past is no different than the perfectness, the beauty of my righteousness, which I gave up. 
both of us, just as in that relationship of one person to another, one reaches out and the other comes meet them, each giving up their way and finding that new way. And that word we had taught to us, um, the song earlier, Waymaker, he's the way. And that's God's love. And now what's the standard? It's a standard you can live by. It's not the perfection of the law held fast. It's perfection yielding up himself, reaching to you where you are. And now what does it mean for you to live according to his way? It's for you to say, okay, that past, that darkness, I'm going to give it up. And he's going to call that your righteousness. You saying yes to him, saying, I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to receive what you're doing for me. That's now the way of love. And once you meet him, he says, okay, now my spirit, my way, it's going to come into you. And that life of the kingdom, it's going to be a Holy Spirit that quickens in you a love that you can show to others who are broken. And if you look in that passage that I opened with in John, you're going to see it's a call where he now says to you, you see those people that are treating you terribly? You see that brokenness and darkness in the world? All those places you don't want to go because now you found him and you want to live in the beautiful places. But he said, you want to you wanna meet me? You want to live with me? Go now to those places. Find those people that are hurting and broken and treat you terribly. And meet them where they are, just like I met you. And learn to live this. That's what we are on the edge of. It's Advent. Christmas is not yet here. But we are people who've been called out and we know the light's about to break in. And here in the time of Advent, we remember what it's like to be in darkness. And we remember what's coming and comes again and again if we let our hearts be stirred, if we recognize what we can do and what we can't do, and if we say yes, no matter how messed up we are, to his word that comes to us and says, by saying yes, you can be righteous, you can love, and you can be made new and live according to his kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the love you give us, the hope you grant us, the shalom of your kingdom, 
and the joy that awakens as we expect the light and take joy in the light that you've brought to us. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Give George another hand. Let the light in, church. Let the light in. One of the things we need to do is just give the light a chance. Give the light a chance. Man can't change you. Man can't change your heart. Words can't change your heart. But if you give the light of Jesus a chance, he can change you. He can change your imperfections. See, we, if we just open up to Jesus and get to know him, you can't help but love him. Because what you will realize is how much he loves you. And as Candy started to serve us off, that is a uh, undenying love. That love of, of, of Christ will touch you to the point where you cannot deny it. When you read the word of God, when you read about Jesus and open your heart to that light of love, it changes you. It changes you, church. That's why the word is so important. Because as you study the word of Christ, that word gets to seed in you. And you read of all the, the wonder and the glory of Jesus and why he came. And it changes you. Man didn't change me to do right, <laughs> as George was saying. Many people told me about the way but I was blind to the way until I got to know the way and I fell in love with the way because I realized how he so loved me you can't deny the love of Jesus for you the Bible says only it's foolish to do so to walk away from that love of Jesus it will be foolish to walk away from that love. Think about the light promised to the world. Mm. The light God sent into this dark world to save you out of your brokenness. To save you out of your darkness. That, that heart that we sometimes fall back into, that dark heart of ours, of this flesh, that is never going anywhere. It is only the love of Christ that covers that. That covers that. And that's all he want to do. God so loved the world <laughs> that he sent the light into it to cover the darkness of our minds and of our hearts. There will be many that turn away from that light. The light is present among us. But many are not willing to go to that light. So I pray that we welcome that light. We welcome that light 
heading into Christmas. Remember, just think about it. The light is coming. The light is coming into the world to heal your broken heart, to heal your brokenness. This is the week that the light is coming. If you haven't received it, receive it. If you may have strayed away from the light, turn back to the light. There is no darkness that can cover that light. No matter how dark your life may be, it can't overcome the light. The light of Jesus. Amen? Amen. These altars are open.